0: A very dear, wonderful, spiritual sister of ours passed away this weekend, and I I just wanted to share a little bit about her and what she meant to us, and anyway, the sub-theme of this testimony is uh, assurance, assurance, and this was important enough that I Wrote it out word for word. (laughs) A dear spiritual sister of ours, Carolyn Aiello, went to meet the Lord this weekend. Patricia and I knew Carolyn 42 years. She discipled us for the first four years. Four years that we were new believers. Carolyn loved us unconditionally... In Jesus. But you know what? While we're sad about one of God's most beautiful people leaving us, we're not grief stricken. Because 1 Thessalonians reminds us in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, that we are not to grieve like those who have no hope. I hope we can all say we have hope. You know, we're not floundering here. We have hope. So, and why? Because Jesus died. Yeah, he died. And next Friday, that's a sad day. But he rose. And when he rises again, guess what? He's going to take us with him. He's going to take us with him. And that's why I want to talk a little bit about assurance here because This is what gives us the joy. This is what gives us joy. Even at a time when we've lost, except for Jesus, we've never had a friend closer than Carolyn. She was so much, no matter where we lived and we moved around, no matter where we lived, we always stayed in touch. We were always close. And we were always loving. They came to all the key events in our lives, when we renewed our wedding on our 35th anniversary, and uh, you know, and we went to—I think uh, we went to—it was either uh, her husband Sonny's 50, her, uh, I think it was their 50th anniversary, and we went to Illinois to visit with them, you know, and to spend time with them. We love these people, okay. But here's the here's the thing. This is what gives us assurance in Jesus. And nobody was more ready to be with Jesus than Carolyn. Even long before she got ill. Now many Christians say that too. They want to see Jesus. They want to be Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. But how many of them are in a hurry for that to happen? Carolyn knew years ago. Years ago. And she'd always talk about it. That she I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus and with God. And so, one of my sub-themes here is I just pray that you can have that assurance. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But, I just pray that every single one of you, one of us, can have somebody that close. You know, even closer than maybe your family, but somebody who you could share anything with. These people, Carol and her husband Sonny, I mean, they were just tremendous. And I know that, you know, you don't know them, but, you know, so this is intensely personal. But whenever I had to relocate to a new ministry or something, they put me up. For three months or so, four months in their house, and when we went to go visit them in the summertime, they'd put us up in their house, or if somebody there was always people visiting, there' always people there, and so she'd put us up in one of the furnished apartments in the condos that she she managed, okay, and you know what they wouldn't take a penny from me, you know they wouldn't let me pay the utility bills they wouldn't let me do anything so but you know what. One day I went up to Carolyn and I said, Carolyn, come on, let me help out here. What can I do? You know, you guys are feeding me. You guys are taking care of me. Uh, I'm not paying the electric. I'm not paying the, I'm not doing anything. She said, you know what? Now, you've got to remember, her husband, Sonny, who was a believer too, he's an Italian. He's an Italian. And he is so, he, he loves to eat. He loves to eat. So <laughs> maybe we all could be surrogate Italians. But uh, so she says to me, you know what? You want to do something for Sonny? Bring him a big salami and some Italian sausages.
1: <laughs>
0: nah, don't pay the utility bill. Don't do this. Don't do that. Bring him food. He, he doesn't get a bigger blessing. Than when, than when when there's food there when somebody brings them food, well here's what I'm trying to get to here. I just pray that each of us can have that assurance. You know, I mean, I admit I have doubts sometimes, and you know, I you know, I, I'd like to be able to say I was 110 percent assured. I mean, I am assured, because I know the Lord, and I pray that most of you, all of you know the Lord, but when I think about this beautiful person, this beautiful lady, and I think about how she knew that she knew that she knew, and I'll tell you, if there's any, any possibility that you don't know for sure either, you can change that today. You can change that right now, okay? You can take a moment right now where you're sitting in your seats and you can take a moment and you can ask the Lord to touch you in a way that you've never been touched before. And if you've been touched by the Lord, ask him to give you a refreshing. This is a time of refreshing. Every year I get up here and I say, you know, oh, this winter wasn't that bad, but... I hate the winners. I still can't get used to being up here with those winners, But I know this, and I say it every year. God is a recreator. He recreates. And so the leaves are going to be out again. The buds are going to be out there. And things are going to be absolutely marvelous again. And that's what we have to remember. So look, we're going to cue up a song. And this is a song that, for me, represents my testimony to Carolyn. And what she meant to us. What she meant to us. And how much... In a way we miss her. But we know that, wow. <laughs> She's dancing for joy. So, again, we're, we're going to sing that song. We're going we're to we're we're play that song. And then just have a moment of silence. And then I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you to do something. If God has touched you in any way... You know, in any way, even if you just want a new, a new pouring in of your spirit, in the spirit, that's fine too. What I'm asking is you come up after the service. I'm invite, we're inviting you. In fact, we're encouraging you. Come up after the service. Pastors, you'll be there. Maybe some of the leaders will be here to pray with you. We're a praying church. We're a church that wants to bless people. And I can't think of any greater blessing than letting you have a a new or or an even further relationship in Jesus Christ. So, that's it. Please cue up that song. And if I start crying, please forgive me. While waiting for a moment here, this is a lady, Carolyn, who I'm told that while she was in the hospital, getting going to pass away, going to meet the Lord soon, that there were over a hundred people that came to see her in her hospital room, and security wanted to shoo them all away because they were backing up in the hallway, in the corridor. But the doctor said, no. Let them come and let them pay their respects and let them be for a moment or two with her. Now, I suspect, knowing Carolyn, knowing her, she preached to the doctor. And she witnessed to him and the nurses and the clerks and the person who mops the floors because that's how she was. And so I'm expecting five, 600 people at a memorial service. Uh, so... This is the kind of person she is. These, these are her testimony. I'm her testimony. My wife Patricia is her testimony. All these people that she discipled and led to the Lord, they're the testimony. So, Ben, if we're not going to get that song back on, I'll just go into my next phase two. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, seeing Jesus. In the Passover, seeing Jesus in the Passover. Now, you know, the first time I walked in this place, I looked up there. Take a look at that. Christ our Passover. And I knew this was the place for me. This was the place for me because I was wanting to be in a, a, a fellowship, in an assembly. Where, yes, we were believers, we were Christians, but we also respected and observed the Jewish holidays. And we understood how every single Jewish holiday (coughs) fits in to Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit of that now with Passover. Okay? So, we all know the story. I'll, I'll be very quick about it, and pastor will pull the hook on me when he's ready. But you know the hebrews were starving in canaan there was a famine okay and so and i and I, and they decided to go to egypt they were invited you know that that that's that's the story the history of jewish people that we've been invited to a lot of different countries we go in Because we had certain skills and certain trades that, you know, others weren't interested in doing or or couldn't do. And it inevitably happened that we got so prosperous, so well off, that now they wanted what we had. I mean, that's what happened in the book of Esther. That's what happened, you uh, uh, you know, and that's what happened even recently, you know. So 70 people go. To Egypt. Now, you know, Egypt can only grow things a half a mile on the east side of the Nile. So it has to flood every spring, you know, to, to prepare the land. But what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh at that time, he gives him the choicest land. He lets him go up to, to a place called Goshen. There's about a dozen cities, towns around this country that are named after Goshen, but that's the richest, most most wonderful place. It's it's in the delta, and feeds into the uh, Mediterranean, because at that point the Nile breaks into six or seven different tributaries that all lead, and in between those tributaries you got some of the finest, finest soil, the finest land in all the world. Well, as an, as always happens. We prospered. From 70 people 400 years later, we got 2 million people. And what happens, like in, all other, like in many other places where we've maybe been in part of the diaspora, we're a threat. We, we, we become a threat. To, to the to the governing people, and that's what happened here in Egypt. So when now that we were in captivity, we, we I'm, I'm sorry, we were in Egypt a little over 400 years, but we were actually only slaves for 200 of those years. You know, and things got so bad that all the babies were killed by Pharaoh because that was their form of birth control so and the people are crying but you know the longer that we're someplace where there aren't believers the harder it is for us to keep to keep that pitch to keep that fire and so what happens is after some point in time the the hebrews began to assimilate even though And and, and Pharaoh kills their children, and then he, uh, he kills their children, and then he makes them slaves. Now you're not your own masters. Now you work for me. I tell you what to do. I tell you when to do it, and I tell you how to do it. And so that was the last 200 years of their time. But then a redeemer came. A redeemer came in the name of Moses, and God spoke to him while he was out in the wilderness. He he was a prince of Egypt. He was raised by one of one of Pharaoh's daughters or sister or something exactly. But he was a prince of Egypt, but he was banished because he saw. Something in his spirit, you know, even though he was, ro- or he thought he was royalty, he saw an Egyptian soldier beating uh, a, a Jewish person who wasn't moving fast enough, or whatever, and so he killed the, the soldier. He killed the Egyptian, and there were some witnesses, and so he panicked, and so boom, he goes out into the wilderness. Okay, and he's there for 40 years. Lord calls him back. Lord says, I've heard the cries of my people. And that's just not 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. He hears the cries of our people now. He hears our cries now. Don't think for one moment that he doesn't hear what's going on. Because he's a lot smarter than we'll ever be. Well, you know, so now we're getting into Passover. And... The scripture is in Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4. And this is God speaking. I am God, the God of your father. Oh, I like, I like pretending I'm God, playing God. <laughs> I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely... Bring you back again. When I, you can imagine how the people felt, you know, when they were being oppressed and they were, you know, and they were slaves and they were working for, you know, they, you know, and, and nothing was theirs. Well, in Exodus six six, the Lord God promised His people that He would save them from slavery. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Now here's where I want to begin to have us see where Jesus fits into this. Outstretched arms. Jesus had his arms outstretched on the stake, on the cross. He had his arms outstretched. To save us. So can it be coincidence that in the New Testament, the Messiah had both of his arms outstretched on the cross as he freed us from sin and from a form of slavery that we had before we were saved. So the Passover message is the shedding of lamb's blood. And that's another symbol because during Passover, an unblemished lamb is sacrificed and uh, and and the blood is 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 sanctified it's, it's special but back then passover really begins with the tenth with the tenth plague there were nine before that and every single plague by the way was coming against gods that Egypt had they believed in insects they believed in this and that you know and uh, so Every single one of those. But Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. You know, God will sometimes use people who want to have nothing to do with us. You know, people who have hardened themselves against us. God will use those people too. To somehow, you know, help us, lead 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 us. Amen. So... God knew what he was doing, even if maybe Pharaoh didn't know what he was doing. So, on that tenth plague, God says the angel of death is going to pass over the land. And every single one of the firstborn is going to perish. Well, you know, we kind of think, gee, that's, you know, not only the people. But the cattle, the the pigs, the chickens, whatever. Any firstborn, human or animal, was going to perish. But God had a plan for the Jewish people, for the Hebrews. That's
1: right.
0: What he decided to do, well not what he decided, he knew he was going to do this all along, but he gave us that lamb and he told us what to do. Take the lamb, kill it, it has to be unblemished, and then place the blood over the doorways of your house, the sides and the top. And I will pass over any of those houses. So, you see, God always has a plan, no matter how, you know, ah, no matter what we think, he has a plan. Now, you know, the interesting thing, and it's in the scriptures, YOU KNOW A LOT OF PEOPLE DON'T THINK OF HEBREWS, DON'T don't THINK OF HEBREWS AS BEING, uh, JUDAISM BEING uh, EVANGELICAL. BUT THERE ARE A NUMBER OF INSTANCES IN THE BIBLE WHERE MANY PEOPLE WHO WERE NOT JEWISH CAME TO BELIEVE. AND THIS WAS ONE OF THOSE TIMES BECAUSE WE READ IN BIBLE that, THAT THERE WERE SOME WHO WERE NOT HEBREWS WHO ALSO PUT THE BLOOD OVER THEIR DOORS AND THEY LEFT with the Hebrews when they went out into the wilderness. So we're beginning to see what's going on here, and we see the first example of uh, Jesus being in the Passover here with his outstretched arms. Much of the symbolism of Jesus' last Passover week is lost to us because we are unaware of the customs of the time. For example, Yeshua, Jesus, came into the Sea of Jerusalem five days before the Lamb was killed in the temple as a Passover sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. Okay? He was crucified on the same exact day that the Lamb was sacrificed for all the people. So... This this is not a coincidence. This is not an an accident. Well, the people didn't fully understand the the significance of this since they greeted him with palm branches and hailed him as king, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. They were not looking at that time for a spiritual savior, but a political savior. Palm branches were a symbol of freedom and defiance since Simon Maccabee had entered Jerusalem 200 years earlier with palm branches to cleanse the temple after defeating the Greeks and the Assyrians. On Passover week, Jesus' reaction to all of this was to weep for Jesus and to cleanse the temple since he realized that the people did not understand the true purpose of his coming. The day Jesus was crucified was the day of the Passover celebration and the day that the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. For the previous 1,200 years, the priest would blow the shofar, the horn, the ram's horn, at 3 p.m. We're going to see Jesus here again. According to Scripture, when they talk about the the hours of the day, Jesus died at 3 o'clock on Good Friday. He was put up there uh, maybe in the morning, and he died at the same exact time that down, down the road at the temple, the lamb was also being sacrificed. So we see Jesus again in this. Okay, and so, what does he say? One of the last things he says, because it's so important, it is finished. There's nothing else. You know, I, I I get I get an opportunity to talk to Jewish people, you know, and you know, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe at least plant a few seeds with them. Well, you know, one of the things I ask them, and they don't really have an answer, is, well, look, if there's no temple anymore. Where's the blood sacrifice? You know where the blood sacrifice is? It's in Jesus. He was the final, absolute, no-nonsense blood sacrifice. Now, you know, they may not agree, but hey, I said, look, until you get another temple, which I don't believe is ever going to happen, as as we know the temple was in in the past, but it's just not gonna happen. Jesus is the blood atonement. Okay? Now <sighs> so God left the earthly temple to inhabit those who called on the name of Jesus to his Holy Spirit. Yeah, he died and he left and he came back. But he took but he gave us a legacy. I mean, look. Rome, Romans are gone. I mean, you know, Rome doesn't exist in any kind of form anymore. Syria, oh, that's a mess over there. I mean, but the legacy of Jesus for 2,000 years and for all eternity has not changed and never, ever will, okay? So, so you know, it, oh, okay. Well, I'm not even going to get around. To, well, I better, all right. Where's the hook? (laughs) All right. I want to talk about some of the symbols that are actually on what's called the Passover Seder. Okay? Which is the special meal that takes place the first two nights of Passover. And by the way, Passover is not all eight days. After the first day, it is now the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? we we put them all together, but it's really not an eight, it's not eight days of Passover. Although you know, I don't think anybody's going to be upset by us with that. Now, in Christian communion, we see that in we see the communion in the Passover Seder. It was during his Passover Seder, and by the way, the Hebrew word for that is order. It means order. Everything's in a certain way spread around this table that has little sections in it, okay? And in in, in Israel, when we're apologizing for something or somebody's, you know, apologized to us, one of the things we may say is Seder. It's in order. It's okay. So, we have the lamb, and on the Seder plank is a shank. A lamb shank. And every year I, I was going to bring some props today, but my wife said, hey, look, now, come on. You know, I mean, you know, you're going to show, you're going to put up a, a, a lamb's shank bone, you know, and so on and so forth. But they eat all of the rest of the lamb, but they don't touch the meat that's on the shank bone. Now, what does that symbolize for us? Well, they won't bro- when Jesus was crucified unlike normal crucifixion normal crucifixion his bones were not broken right. the lamb's bones are not broken okay they're not snapped they're not broken so we see that symbol and what that symbol tells us in the last supper his last supper that the celebration of covenant. He's instituting a new covenant with us. He's not replacing the old one, but he's introducing a new one. He's expanding on it. He's giving us more and more to, to better grasp. The celebration of this covenant has become the ordinance of communion in the Christian church. For Messianic Jewish believers, this is known as Messia- Messiah's table. At the end of the meal, Yeshua took the unleavened bread, broke it, and said that it represented his Body now, I, I, I was going to bring a piece of matzo to unleavened bread, but my wife said, "No, no, no, you know, just no show time. Uh, but if you remember what Matzo looks like, it's unleavened, it's flat, okay It's striped. Right. What does that remind us of? The wounds that Jesus suffered at the end of his life here on earth? And the other thing that we see about matzah is if you look closely, it's pierced with little holes throughout. What else did that tell us? Our Lord was pierced when his hands and his feet were, were hammered to the cross. So we saw a, another symbol of Jesus there. And at the beginning of the thing... I what, two minutes, three minutes? At the beginning of the Seder, we we take out three pieces of matzah. One of them gets put in a bag to be hidden, and the kids get a chance to try to find it. And they get a prize. They get, they get a little prize, you know, if they find it. It'll be hidden. But one of the other matzahs, now there's three matzahs, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But one of the matzahs gets... Horn, gets ripped in three pieces one of the pieces gets put in this special linen bag okay and so what does that tell us about Jesus that for a while we didn't know him we were hidden from him but then when it's recovered he was found just as this piece of matzah was found on the seder plate, there's also an egg, a roasted or a, uh, a boiled egg. And my wife said, "Don't go bring in that. You'll drop it with your clumsiness, and it'll make a real mess on the floor." But what does that egg symbolize? Think about it. An egg has no beginning. An egg has no end. It's perfectly, you know, oval. So there's no beginning to an egg, and no end. Same with Jesus; he is the he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Okay. So that's a little bit about matzah, and I think we're gonna just end right now. But what I want to really, what I really want you to understand, is Our observance of all the major Jewish festivals and even maybe some of the ones that aren't major ones, you know, that are required pilgrimage ones where in ancient times the people had to go up to the temple in Jerusalem, they are not something odd or unusual or out of sorts. They make us who we are as believers because and you know, my I I pray about I just wish more churches would understand that. I'll say a real quick story, and then I'm going to pray. And uh, But if you look at the scriptures and you do any of the studies, you'll see so clearly, just like all the other holidays, Jesus is there. He's been prophesied. He's there. He's part of it. And so we're part of it. We're not removed from that. <laughs> I think I told you, I think I told the pastor this story. When we first moved up here, we were trying to find a church that recognized uh, the observances, the Jewish observances. Half the people didn't even know what we were talking about. You know, churches, pastors, and then some other pastors believed in replacement theology. That the church completely replaced Old Testament scripture. And that we that we were the new the the new church, which is a continuation of what's been going on for 3,000 years. So I'm going to close with that with just a quick prayer. And then, again, after the service, I don't know if you have a few announcements, but after the service, please, this can be your opportunity, an invitation, an encouragement to come forward. You know?